Let's read James chapter 1, verses 19 to 27. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Thank you so much, Reba. Please do keep your Bibles open there at James chapter 1. There's an old English saying, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. But if you think about it, that's not really true, is it? Words will hurt me. Words do hurt me. They harm you. Other people's words have the definite capacity to cause you harm. And so do my words and so do yours. I well remember I was crying as a young boy. I was sitting in my bedroom sobbing about something someone had said to me. And my dad came in and gently asked what the matter was and he listened to my story of pain. And then he said something that I've never forgotten. Well, Mike, sticks and stones may break your bones. They may, but names will always hurt you. You may be thick-skinned today, you may be one of those people who has the emotional hide of a rhino, but words do get to you, even you, they really do. Professor Tom Wright, who's a New Testament professor at St Andrews University, puts it like this, you can recover from a broken leg or arm, but if someone smears your good name, if someone tells lies about you and other people believe them, it may be much much harder. You may never get the job you want. People may never quite trust you. Friends, even family may turn away. Words can be terrible things. They can leave lasting wounds. But words can also do great, beautiful, constructive things. There are probably some words that have changed your life. I bet there are. They may have even been very brief words. Maybe in a short sentence. How about these examples? Well done. We are so proud of you. I really love you. You passed. Yes. <laughs> Words have great power, don't they? And we're studying James's letter. And in verse 19, we move into a new section 
Uh, a new unit of thought is beginning and it's all about words, our words and God's word. And I've got two points today in this message, uh, our words and the old way of life and God's word and the new way of life. Very simple, our words and the old way of life, God's word and the new way of life. Now, before I move into that, let me just point out this James, whose letter we're reading, was a key leader in the early church. Most likely it's this James. He led the Jerusalem church for 30 years. It's amazing to think that someone who grew up as a young brother of Jesus Christ ended up as a devoted follower and worship of Jesus, and that's James. Now, if you're joining us today for the first time, or you haven't caught up with us for the first couple of weeks, Here's a brief recap. This James was most likely the half-brother of Jesus Christ, although Jesus, you know, as we know, had an earthly mother but didn't have a human biological father. And he led this church for 30 years. It's amazing to think he ended up as a devoted follower, worshipper of Jesus. And what we're finding here is that his letter is powerful. It is punchy. It's very practical. Perhaps not surprising for someone who had grown up watching Jesus' life firsthand. James's first chapter is all concerned with spiritual reality. He's showing us how the Christian faith works in everyday life, and it is quite a workout. James wants to change our minds and transform our character, and we're going to find him being equally punchy today. So, first point, our words and the old way of life. James writes very affectionately, verse 19, he says, my dear brothers and sisters. You know, in the original language, he says, my beloved, my beloved brothers and sisters, whoever you are, wherever you are in the world, this is a word for you from someone who loves you, someone who is called by God to be a servant of Jesus and to speak God's word in the power of the Holy Spirit. And he wants to talk about the way we speak and the way we live and how those two things are connected. And he gives us three commands that he wants us to pay attention to. There they are in verse 19. Take note of this, he says. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Now, frankly, we could spend all our time today on this one verse, couldn't we? <laughs> immediately we realise that James has found us out because this is solid advice. I think anyone in the world could see its wisdom, regardless of their faith commitments, to be quick to listen, to understand what someone's really saying, what they really mean, their intention, their heart, their mind. To be slow to speak, not to rush in with our own words and opinions before we fully formed them or, or fully understand what's happening. And then to be slow to become angry, to to just not let that, that bubbling of emotion that, that comes up. And so often we speak out of an angry heart and then we regret it later. Any parent listening to this sermon today will immediately recognise the experience of trying to teach a child to be quick to listen, stop speaking, just slow down, and then don't speak out of anger. Now notice here how James links our words to anger and this is because often our emotions drive our words in harmful ways if you think about how that happens uh, in our speech or even in our writing how we we send messages that are 
intemperate, they're not self-controlled. And if we'd done them in a calm frame of mind, we wouldn't have said that. We wouldn't have written that. But we think we can sort of get it all off our chest, put people right, set the, put the world to rights if we just sort of let it all out. But be honest, it almost never works, does it? Do you think your rage fixes many problems? Usually gets us into more trouble, doesn't it? Have you ever regretted words that were spoken or written in the heat of the moment? Be quick to listen, but slow to speak and slow to become angry. And verse 20 explains why this is so important to James. Because, he says, human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Our anger, most of the time, usually does not produce the righteousness of God. And this is shorthand for a new way of life. The good, kind, loving, thoughtful life that God requires of us. And the kind of life that we all need, and we all really want if we want to flourish in this world. It's the righteous way, the good life. Human anger doesn't produce it. It's a dead end. It takes us down the wrong track. But there's more. If you look at verse 21, James now quite shockingly links our words, not just to um, an immediate impact, but to a whole way of life. He, he straight away goes in verse 21 to our, our entire conduct. Therefore, he says, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. Get rid of all moral filth. Get rid of. This word means take off. It's a clothing word. It's used of taking off your clothes, stripping off your old filthy stinking clothes that you can't wait to get out of. You might remember if you've read the letter to Colossians, Paul uses the same word in Colossians chapter 3. Take off the old way of life. Uh, one of the most powerful films of the 1990s was actually a kind of uh, Christian story called The Shawshank Redemption. Very powerful film in which Tim Robbins plays a banker who has been falsely convicted of the murder of his wife and her lover and he's sent to a maximum security prison for the rest of his life and most of the film takes place in the brutal conditions of this prison. But towards the end of the film Andy Dufresne, who's the character, escapes during a huge storm through a tunnel that he's been carving through his, his wall for about 20 years. Sorry, I've just spoiled the end of the film for you. Um, and having gone through this tunnel, he drops down into a place where the prison sewer leaves the building. He smashes into the sewer and he crawls down the sewer, I'm sorry, it's an unpleasant illustration, to freedom. And the other main character, played by Morgan Freeman, says this. Andy crawled to freedom through 500 yards of foulness I can't even imagine. Or maybe I just don't want to. 500 yards. That's the length of five football fields, just shy of half a mile. And having crawled through the prison sewer for 500 yards, Andy emerges in a, in a river. And he stands in the torrential rain with his arms outstretched, being washed clean, free again. Now, 
what do you think happened to the clothes that he was wearing that night? He got rid of them. He would be burned. You never want to see them again. He scrubbed himself clean and he put on a whole new set of clothes. He never went back. And that is a powerful picture of redemption. James says, get rid of the old way of life, the moral filth and the prevalent evil. And he doesn't go into specifics about what kind of things he's thinking of. But I don't think he needs to. Because every Christian friend, every brother and sister listening, can think of things in the old way of life that they are now ashamed of. Sordid things, petty things, dirty things, things that are unclean, ways of speech, ways of talking to people or about them, habits of life, sometimes secret habits, actions, things we used to do, thought patterns, things that we entertained in our mind and our imagination, attitudes of the heart, motives. We can all think of things that we are now deeply ashamed of and we're saddened by them. We would be mortified if others found out about them if they were made public. Maybe things we did before we came to Christ or maybe things that we've done since but they, we know they're things from the old way of life. We've returned to them like a dog returning to its vomit, but with a new sense of shame and inappropriateness. James says, the old way of life, just get rid of it. Take it off. Now, just thinking about logic here for a moment, doesn't it seem strange to you that James somehow leaps from talking about, you know, being slow to speak and quick to listen and words to now talking about our life? What's the connection between lip and life? Interestingly, the Bible does this in other places. It does it in the book of Proverbs in the Old Testament. The Apostle Peter does this. And Jesus himself said it. Luke 6, 45, Jesus said, A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. And an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. So you've got two kinds of heart. The good and the evil, and one is bringing good things out of it, the other is bringing evil things all stored up in the heart. And then Jesus says this, For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. The mouth speaks what the heart is full of. The old version said, Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So it's not accidental that James and other Bible writers Take, tell us to take very seriously what we're talking about, what we say, how we use our words, because actually our words are revealing what's in our heart already. They're not neutral. What comes out is what's inside most of the time. And we say, oh, but I didn't mean that. I didn't mean, mean that. Stop for a moment. Really? Didn't you mean it? Or is the problem that what you said was actually what you really secretly meant? Now, let me just apply this to some different areas of our speech. Uh, informal conversations where we're relaxed. We're not performing. We're not on our best behavior. Informal conversations, what are they like? How do we tend to use our words and speech to other people about other people? Uh, when we're emotional, passionate outbursts. How, what, how are our words then when we're 
speaking out of emotion. Is there a difference, being honest, in your life between the things you say in private and the kind of things you would say in public, the kind of things you would say in church? Or is there a difference? Then if there is a big difference, are you a hypocrite? How about online speech? We have a capacity for words that is unprecedented in human history. James and Jesus never could have thought about this. Online speech, hundreds, thousands, millions of words generated every day on social media. And what we're finding in social media is a pervasive lack of respect, a lack of civility, of kindness. Uh, be, be quick to listen, slow to speak. It's the other way around. Slow to listen, quick to speak. Harsh tone. People being far too blunt. Or perhaps it's the, what we think of as innocent. Our humour. You say, well, it's just my sense of humour. But a humour that hurts. Careless words that hurt others. We make excuses for it. We say, oh, well, I'm just a verbal processor. James would say, friend, be quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to become angry. We find our words can be quite harmful on emails, don't we? Uh, some people sit and stew over emails and write things and send it off. If only they'd slept on it or shown it to somebody else or read it out loud, they would have realised this isn't really a good use of my words. Couldn't it have been better said in person more kindly? Now, I'm also aware that I need to be kind with my words as a preacher, and I have great responsibility, even as we receive a punchy challenge from James. There's some people who will be feeling very convicted by this who actually struggle with words. And uh, I, I wanna just speak to you for a moment. If you're someone who um, struggles with dyslexia, and you will find that words are just not your friend. You really struggle with them. I was talking to a, a dyslexic friend recently, very, very bright woman, and she said, you know, what it's like in my mind is as if uh, I can sort of see words, but they're always blurry and I can't quite make them out and I can't quite link it all together. So I often find I say things that weren't really what my intention was. And if that's you, then I want to I want to be kind to you. Um, not to put a heavy burden on you today. And James doesn't want to do that. We're not demanding verbal perfection and precision, but to, to just beg for greater thoughtfulness. And also to those people who are on, probably on the autistic spectrum or, or, or have an Asperger's diagnosis. Words are very difficult, aren't they? It can be really hard that what you say isn't received in the way that um, you meant by the other person. And so again, we're not trying to put heavy burden on you today, not to demand you to be perfect and precise, but just to think more carefully about your words. And I've learned a useful tool over the years, which I needed to learn, which is to ask myself a question. Whatever I mean by this statement, what is it going to feel like to the person hearing it? Whatever I mean, what is it going to feel like to them? What will it do to their heart, their mind? And if you're in doubt, you could even say that. You could say, hey, I'm not sure if what I'm saying is, is really the right way, but I'd, help me talk this through. And that can help us be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry.
Now, James has linked words to deeds, and he's told us about getting rid of that old, horrible set of clothing. But unlike other places in the New Testament, James doesn't now say, put on a new way of life, like a new set of clothes. Paul does that in Colossians. Put off the old way, put on the new way. You've got like a nice um, synergy, what's it called? Parallel of of, uh, images. But James actually says this. um, Get rid of moral filth and, verse 21, humbly accept the word planted in you which is quite a strange image if you think about it. But that is our second point of this sermon today. Uh, God's word and the new way of life. Humbly accept the word planted in you, that's God's word, and which can save you, can rescue your life. Now, what is this interesting phrase, God's word which is planted in you? James has already talked about God's word back in verse 18. He says that God gave us birth, new birth, through the word of truth. And so God's word is the thing that makes you uh, uh, born again, gives you new birth as a Christian. And now he says that this word has been planted in you and it's inside you and it can save you. Now this image is informed by some very beautiful Old Testament passages. I'm gonna read a bit of one of them. Isaiah 55, absolutely beautiful passage. God says this, my thoughts, are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. As the rain and snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish, so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth, it will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. Amazing. See, God's words are not just vehicles that carry information. God's words have hands and feet. They do things, they're powerful, they make things. God's words created the whole universe. Genesis chapter one. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God said, let there be light. God said, let there be a sky and earth and so on. His word creates and his words sustain the universe. New Testament says he is sustaining all things by his powerful word. And his words also create new life in us. As James has said, he, we gave us birth through the, new, through the word of truth. And so God's words not only brought about the creation, they bring about the new creation, the new followers of Jesus Christ. And they will bring us total transformation in our lives and character if we will let them. So James now says his instruction, humbly accept, receive that word that's planted in you, which can save you in the future. Two other passages that inform this thinking, Jeremiah 31 and Ezekiel 36, two just golden passages from the Old Testament as they speak and looked ahead to a day when God will make a new covenant with his people. And Jeremiah talks about um, uh, the law of God, the, the word of God being written on the hearts of God's people so that they will keep it and then being able to teach one another. 
Ezekiel talks about God taking away a heart of stone and putting instead a heart of flesh, a heart that's responsive and loving and tender, a heart transplant, a new birth. What's new? The law of God, the word of God is now written on our hearts. And that doesn't mean that you've got an automatic download of the entire Bible somewhere in your um, heart or memory. Uh, You still have to learn it and study it and internalize it and so on. But what it does mean is that by the Holy Spirit, Christians now are prompted and made open and yearning to live by God's word. That's the essential um, authentic life of the Holy Spirit is a person who now wants to live in line with God's word. They're not doing it in a slavish way or a burdened way, thinking, oh, I've got to obey God to try and keep his commandments. No, they want to love God and love their neighbour because the Spirit has changed them. All right, you say, this is all very good. Lots of Old Testament, very, very good. What does it look like in real life? Let's get practical. And James says in verse 22, he explains what it looks like to humbly accept the word that's planted in you. And here's the thing, verse 22, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves, do what it says. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves, do what it says. So here's the point, to accept the word essentially is to do it. To accept God's word essentially is to do it. So we Except it sounds passive, but actually it's very active. We need to do it. And then James gives an illustration about a mirror. Uh, Many people in the ancient world had access to mirrors. Usually they were polished metal. Wouldn't be of the same quality of mirror that you have. But listen to what he says in verse 23. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror And after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. You you looked at the mirror, but you went away and you immediately forgot. What's the point here? You know, whenever you look at your face, probably most of the time, you're not surprised by what you see, are you? I mean, there are times. I remember when I was a teenager, I was working with a landscape gardener and uh, I was bitten on the cheek by a horsefly. I didn't know it had happened. We were in the field somewhere and I got bitten on the cheek. I just felt my cheek was getting very, very hot. (laughs) This this illustration isn't in the notes and it's quite random, but I'm going to keep going. I just felt by the end of the day something was wrong because I could see my cheek out of the corner of my eye. I got home, looked in the mirror and got the shock of my life because my face had blown out like this. But most of the time, what you see in the mirror is just familiar. You know, you see it. And so James says, if you you know, just, you listen to the word, but you don't know what it says. It's like you you see something familiar. You think you know it already and you immediately forget it. Instant forgetting, how foolish that is. But the contrast is, verse 25, whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they've heard, but doing it, I mean, it's making the point here, they will be blessed in what they do. See the contrast? The contrast is between looking into something, seeing something familiar and forgetting all about it, or looking intently, focusing on it, continuing in it, not forgetting it, and then doing it. 
that has very, very different ways of looking. Quite interesting, isn't it? Considering how important listening is to James, that he now says, don't merely listen. Don't be a hearer only, be a doer of the word. Now, what does this mean to us? Let me ask you, friends, do you take the time needed in the course of your days to stop and peer into and look intently at God's word? Do you take the time to stop and stop the busyness of your life and switch off all the, the messages and the voices and all the things that are coming in from all different places and, and hear the word of God speak to you in your private life? James says, this is an amazing phrase he uses here, and we need to look at this for a moment. Uh, Whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom. Now that might sound quite contradictory to us. The perfect law that gives freedom, because we tend to think of law as something that's restrictive, law that's something that's, uh, you know, uh, gives us less freedom. James says, no, God's word and law does, doesn't just mean the first five books of the Bible. It means the whole of God's wisdom, the whole of God's message to us. God's word is actually perfect and it gives you freedom. Now, an example of law giving freedom, at which side of the road should you drive on? I learned to drive on the left-hand side of the road. I always have to think about that because I, I didn't learn to drive until I was in my 30s. The reason we, I learned was that we were moving to America and I knew I was going to have to drive in America. It's a car-based society. So I learned to drive. I passed my test in London and then we moved straight to Boston, Massachusetts and I immediately switched to driving on the other side of the road. And so I've been confused ever since. But the point is, the law of a different country will tell you which side of the road you drive on. And it's good to keep that law, isn't it? Because without it, we would have absolute carnage. And the same with other kinds of road use laws. You see, freedom is not the absence of all boundaries and rules. They would, that would be destructive. Freedom is the presence of the right boundaries and rules that give us life. A very stark challenge is being put before us here. I did say, didn't I, that James was punchy. He's saying, you can know quite a lot about the Bible. You can know... You can read the Bible. You may have morning devotions, daily reading plan, something on your phone, something in your, in your Bible, a Bible reading plan. You can know a lot. You can listen to sermons. You can hear sermons by good preachers. And they think, yeah, that's great. I enjoyed that. That's good. And you know what? You can go away and forget all about it. You can forget all about it. Or you can hear some teaching and you can uh, realise that it's true. You can feel challenged by it. But you can excuse yourself and not actually obey God's word. We have all sorts of excuses, don't we, when you say things like, well, it's just my problem, my issue. I'm, I'm quite good on other things, it's just this one. It's like my, you know, my pet sin. James would not be settling for that. He says, you're merely listening, actually. Be, be a doer of the word, otherwise you're like a person that's forgotten what he looks like in the mirror, and you're in danger of going back to moral filth. Do not be mere listeners. What is mere listening? How about Bible study? And gathering information about God, but not seeing a changed life. How about 
resentment when you hear a preacher or some other Christian communicator challenge something in your life and you feel it's got too close. And you say, oh, that's not the gospel. You're, you're preaching the law to me. James says the perfect law gives freedom. Sometimes preachers, communicators should get close and you should feel the challenge. Sometimes hearing, enjoying, nodding, appreciating this Christian truth and then forgetting all about it or not paying sufficient attention. You know, our problem, friends, is not that we don't know enough. We actually know a lot. Our problem is, is what we're doing with the things that we already know. That's our problem. How many times have I taken one of my children, and I have five, to the edge of a road and said, stop now. Look, both ways. Listen. Is it clear? Yes, it is. Right, now we go across. And you know what happens the next time we get to a road? We're just about to run straight across. I've had to go through this with five kids. Stop, look, listen, how many times does a parent have to say, you know, that is a law, but it gives freedom. Freedom from being run over by a bus or a car. Now, how can we apply this teaching to ourselves at Grace Church Manchester? You know, we certainly are a word church. I, I believe that. This church has been going for about 17, 18 years. It was founded on the Bible. It was founded on a a strong commitment to the, the systematic teaching of the Bible, the expository teaching of God's word. And we've got archives of all the sermons over the years. We are a word church, at least on paper. And we put the word central in our public worship. Sermons, unapologetically, 30, 35 minute sermons. We put the word central in our small group ministry to talk about the word of God. Our children and youth workers, work tirelessly to base their ministry around the word we are a word church i'm proud of that and i'm thankful for it but friends are there any issues at a deeper level about us being mere listeners and not doers do, do we have sometimes lack the discipline that it takes to take what we know and put it into practice are we soft on sin the evil that's so prevalent? Do we have any fresh joy in knowing Jesus? Just to know him, that he, he loves you, he, whom to know is life eternal. And the, the freedom that he brings, the promise that he has for the future, the acceptance, the welcome that he gives you, the joy of being part of his family. That is there a tendency among us, Grace Church friends, to be dry? To, to know a lot, but be kind of dry in it and joyless. Do you still give yourself to Jesus Christ's heart and soul? Or are you so tired that you give him very little? What would happen if you sat with God for three times a day for one week and asked him to speak to you through his word and for you to do it? Is the Lord Jesus at the forefront of our minds or crowded out by the busyness of our schedule. Whoever looks intently into the perfect law, intently, the law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they've heard, but doing it, they will be blessed. That's the fullness of life there. They will be blessed in what they do. Wow. Now, James ends with three quick points about what that looks like. Um, he says, 
verse 26, if you consider yourself religious and don't keep, keep a tight rein on your tongue, you deceive yourself. Uh, verse 27, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is to look after the helpless, orphans and widows. And thirdly, to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Now listen, I'm not going to go into those three because they, James is doing a heads up here. He's going to go into much more detail about those three later in the letter. So I'm not going to spend time on them. They are three examples of what it looks like to do the word. Not just listen to it. Keep a tight rein on your tongue. Care for the helpless and don't be polluted by the world. But I'm going to ask you uh, with a simple question as I close now. As you have listened to James today, uh, do you already know that there is one area in your life that needs addressing? Do you already know that? And if so, I'm going to give a moment of silence and just ask the Spirit to prompt you and help you in his love for you to go and change. Not to be a hearer only, but to be a doer of the word. Oh Lord, we thank you so much for your powerful word which spoke planets into motion, sustains this beautiful world that we live on and feeds us and keeps us alive day by day. Thank you that what you've given us in the Bible is not a dusty book of information but a living word, powerful and active applied to the hearts of brothers and sisters by the Holy Spirit himself. That thing that we just thought, that thing perhaps that you've brought to mind by your Spirit, we do ask now, oh we beg you, don't let us be hearers only, but to do the word for our good, for your glory. Amen.